Hello strangers, my name is Rose Goldthorpe. I am the writer-director of this podcast and I want to welcome you to The Greenlands Presents. This podcast is all about the magical world of the Greenlands. If you want more information about the Greenlands or want to submit a script or be involved in the project as a voice actor or even just, you know, throw money at us, check out our website at the-greenlands.com the-greenlands.com or tweet at us on Twitter at GreenlandsThe or Instagram. These also will be put on YouTube. I want to thank our cast from this week's episode of The Night's Erratic, the second in our cycle of six stories. Thank you to Crispin Holland, Sam Parry, Linda Dutson, Helen Vary, David McCran, Andrew Veald, James Hare, Zoe Cunningham and Alex Gardner. The Greenlands Orchard Afternoon It is a summer's day and three young squires have just finished their picnic lunch out of a cloth which is on the ground with a few chicken bones, an empty bottle of wine and half an eaten pie on it. The oldest of them, Morag, is sitting back, lounging against a tree trunk nearby. He is around 24 and is dark, handsome, of broad build and reserved. Morag is amusedly watching the antics of the youngest squire, Quinn, aged around 19 years, who is light brown-haired, bright, but somewhat truculent and tending to irony. Quinn is of yeoman stock and has a resulting chip on his shoulder, as his companion, Adamant, is 20 years a barren son, and has all of the golden looks and kindly, if somewhat dim charm, of a spoilt only son. Adamant considers himself a lady killer. He is too. Quinn is showing the different types of apples to Adamant, who is casually picking and tasting them inquiringly. Quinn points to one particular apple on a branch. No, honestly, my grandmother is a wart woman. Just because a woman has a wart, it doesn't define her. Warts! Plants, So she knows about these things. And she said that certain apples in an orchard have the power to confer holiness on you so that you can pass the night's spiritual test. Adamant reaches, picks and bites the apple. What? We all eat one and we all gain spiritual enlightenment? Just like that? Yeah. Don't you remember? We all can understand why Morgan the Organ passed his spiritual purity test when he'd fathered half of the babes in the village. Adamant inspects his apple. What, any old apple? Quinn walks up to him, takes the apple and throws it down. No. My grandmother says it has to be growing at the very tip of the branch. There have to be no leaves near it. It has to be all red with no green. There is suddenly a loud whistling sound. Horses neighing and shouts, plus the sound of horses' hooves receding. The squires look around, and Morag jumps up. What the...? The squires run out of the orchard, into the adjacent meadow, and see the last of three men on horseback leading the squires' own horses out of the gate at a canter. The thieves then canter off up the track together, holding a spare horse each. The squires pursue them, halloo, and shout at the robbers to come back, and give them back their horses but the robbers just shout, Woohoo! and so long, suckers. The squires come to a halt in their pursuit and look despondently at each other. Morag looks furious. How dare they steal the baron's horses? Stuff the baron? That's my horse. Country lane, after him. The squires are slogging along the hot road. Well, this is a pain. If you'd tied the horses near the orchard, this wouldn't have happened. Why me? Because I was sorting out the lunch. 
Yeah, but Morag could have tied them up as well, you know. Yeah, but you- Shut up! Now! I don't want to have to walk all the way to the Sisters of the Middle Sun's sanctuary. Well, that's what heroes are supposed to do. Journey. Not the heroes I read about. Adamant and Quinn both look away at the floor sulkily. After a while... You do realise what losing our saddlebags means, don't you? No money for lunches, and no clothes for changes. We're going to stink by the time we get there. Adamant has dropped back for a moment, cutting a switch. He hurries up to join Quinn while whipping his switch. Quinn pauses, looks at him, and points to his switch while Morag walks on up the lane. I don't really see how that's going to help. Well, it's better than nothing. Couldn't you have kept your sword on you, like Moragu? Morag gives married to the sword a whole new meaning. Morag glares at them. But dying by the sword still has the same meaning. Ooh, aren't we grumpy? Not very gallant of you. Quinn elbows him, and they both smile apologetically at Morag, who speeds up walking. They run after him. Glade, morning. There is an old lady with a bandage around her eyes, walking out into the glade, stopping, looking up and addressing the sky. Please, Goddess Essie, will you give me some prophecies for today, as I'm running short with the griffin dung? Purple colours in the sky and low, sexy female groaning and sighing. I mean, when I signed up for this job, I thought you was a great goddess, but here we are. Come on, your hungover graciousness. More purple with flashes of gold. Oh, stop complaining, please. Your voice is so painful. If you didn't drink all that divine wine, you wouldn't have an headache, would you? Silence. The seer listens. Right, if I must. (sighs) A piece of paper falls out of the sky, and the seer catches it and reads it through her blindfold. What? Just that? Yes. Now I'm going to bathe in the waters of Minister Wynne. Go do your thing, old woman. The purple masses into a pale lilac glow. The flashes of gold accelerate, and lots of purple eyes appear in the sky for a few seconds. Everything then fades, and the seer hobbles across the rest of the glade, finally reaching the other side. The squires step into the glade, and Adamant, seeing the old woman, takes her arm and manhandles her across the glade, back again from where she has just come. The seer wriggles helplessly. Don't worry, good mother. We will help you. The other two follow. You put me down. Oh, don't you worry, madame. I am here to help you. Yeah, they all say that. Get off me, young man. But a knight must help the blind and injured. I ain't blind, you dumb frog. I'm a seer. I see too well. This bandit slows my sight down, stupid boy. Oh, a seer. Here, mother. Mother, a golden groat. Please tell us, what is our weird? Our weird? You in a minute. Adamant has let go of her as she slaps his hand off her. She looks up at the sky as if for inspiration and raises her predictive finger. She coughs. <laughs> Only two of the night's erotic will survive the trials. The third will take a path less travelled. Oh, and also beware shrubbery. Adamant calls after her. Knight's erotic. Uh, what happens to the third one? She shrugs. I don't know. Prophecies are never very specific. 
Go on now, you've had your groats worth. She disappears in the wood. They trail away, following Morag back towards the road. Did I mistranslate that? She said, beware shrubbery. She said only two of the knights erotic will survive. I'm pretty sure I'm erotic, so I'm fine. I am not erotic. Yes, it strikes me you are the one more likely to take the path less followed. Because if Quinn here doesn't get to be a knight, his dad will kill him. Well, death has been called the path less followed. Nah, everyone follows that path. Is everyone from your kingdom so fatalistic or just your family? Well, not everyone is weirdly positive like you. It is a heroic quality, having a positive outlook. And I am going to be a hero, thank you very much. Huh. The power of positive thinking. So useful against a crossbow. Road. Morning. It is hot and dusty. The squires come around a bend in the road and see a peasant standing on the greenswood, cutting at the hedgerow with a billhook. Morning, gentlemen. Good morning, good sir. Do you know where Weslingham is, please? Is it far? Well, Welsingham be a good 20 miles, yeah. The squires look at each other in dismay. That be too good in though, masters, so you'll be having a good rest. Quinn rolls his eyes. Ugh, we'll need it. They turn to walk on. Thanks. They walk off. Going on horseback would be quicker, though, you know. Bunch of them men with horses go past a few whiles ago. You could have asked them, you know. Quinn half turns and smiles in a sickly fashion. Yeah. Thanks. Adamant stares at the floor, off to one side, and nods his head. Damn brigands! River. Afternoon. The squires are slogging tiredly along the lane when it comes up to and runs along a river. Morag walks onto the riverbank, stops and starts taking off his boots. We notice he doesn't take off his sword. He gets in, holding his sword above the water. I am not moving. The banks are beautifully green and the birds are singing. Suddenly there is a rush and Adamant, fully clothed, leaps in. Quinn more calmly wades into the water. Yeah! Water. Thank God. Adamant, you won't be able to walk in your boots now. Adamant is underwater. He surfaces and tackles Mora, sinking both of them. They surface with Mora, holding Adamant and throwing him at Quinn in the shallows, getting Quinn soaked. Quinn lunges over at Adamant and ducks him while Adamant fights back. Ugh, children. Both Adamant and Quinn exchange glances and tackle him under again. Outskirts Weslingham Village. Evening. The tired, damp and footsore squires slow down as they approach the village. Yep. Yep. Lamb stew with dumplings the size of your head. Followed by... No, no, suet pudding! A beef one with acres of kidneys and thick brown gravy. No. It's got to be a steak. A huge T-bone with all the... Hang on. We only get these if we've got a place to stay. You have got the pilgrim passes. Adamant walks on ahead, anxious to get his dinner. Morag rootless in his belt scrip. Course he has. I gave them to him from my father. Morag can't find the papers and suddenly looks up with horrid realisation. Saddlebag. Morag looks up at Quinn. On the horses. Ugh. Quinn puts his hands on his hips. You mean that not only do we not have any food or money at all, but we also don't have anywhere to stay. 
the whole way there. Oh, yep. Sorry. How as I know we were going to have our No suet pudding! Adamant holds his hands to his head in mock horror. We can get our horses back. No, we won't. They are probably five counties away from here now, and our stuff sold to a hundred people. Ah. In. Evening. Several peasants and yeomen pushing past. The squires try and explain their predicament to the innkeeper's wife. So when the thieves had stolen our horses, they had our bags. And the bags had our pilgrim permits in, so... We'll have enough of that, gentlemen. I know a band of fraudsters when I see it. No, really, we aren't frauds. My father is a baron, and he has issued the permits, so that we have places to stay en route. Oh, I? A baron's son, eh? She narrows her eyes and thrusts her head forward. So where's your horses? We've just told you. Out! Before I bring the constables. Go on. Out! She flaps her tea towel at them. The squires turn miserably and go out. It's a bit rough, being treated like common criminals. The innkeeper's wife throws a clog at them. They duck and run. Did you call me common? Wesleyham, another inn. Evening. A big burly man is standing in front of his inn, talking to the squires. Look, if you won't believe us, we can work for you instead. And what exactly would you work as? I can pour the beer. Oh, I. So where's your boobs, then? I'm not sure that's a necessary qualification for pouring beer. <laughs> Tis round here. I can care for your customers' horses, then. Ah, we've got an ostler. I'll do your cooking for you. Oh, really? So, tell me the difference, then, between a salmagundi and a fricassee, eh? Adamant scratches, taps his head, looks upward, and tries to look wise. It's, well, it's, um... Well, it's not up there, is it? Ah, oh, please, gentlemen, I've got paying customers to see now. He turns from them, wiping his hands on his apron. As the boys turn away, Morag, who has had his hands in his pockets, discovers some coins, which he pulls out. He looks at their paltry smallness and then shouts after the host. Uh, landlord! The innkeeper turns back, sardonically. I don't suppose uh, three groats would purchase shelter? In number two, stables. Evening. The three squires are lying in the straw. It is very dark. We mainly hear voices. Bet we get eaten alive by fleas. It's my suet puddings I'm missing. The stable door opens and a young woman comes in holding a candle nub. It lights up her face. You be there, masters. Yes, we're here. Why? I heard Dad speak of your predicament, and I've brought you a bit of food and beer because it's a right shame. Ah, you fair maid. How kind you are to look with pity upon three starving knights. He waggles his eyebrows at her and rakes his eyes up and down her. You knights, then? Well, nearly. The maid looks around anxiously. I have to go... Leave the cups and stuff and I'll collect them tomorrow. She hurries out, taking the light with her. There is silence. I never thought I would be happy to not know what I am eating. Cheese and beer is a fit feast for heroes. At least we aren't starving. Yeah, don't snap your royal nose at it. They munch away in the dark. Courtyard of Inn Number 2. Morning. The maid of the inn who rescued them the night before comes absently tripping across the yard, furtively carrying a cloth of food for the squires. She timidly knocks at and opens the door, and sunlight streams on the squires. 
They sit up and rub their eyes. They rub them even more when they see Morag's horse and bags standing in the stall next to theirs. They all stare at it. Beautiful, isn't it? My boyfriend gave it to me early this morning as a present. He said he bought it, but I reckon his mates and him have nicked it off you. He bloody well did. That's my horse. Shasta! The horse turns at his name and snorts at him. It still has the bridle that matches Morag's necklace. How do I know it's yours? Morag silently points out his necklace and the design on his sword sheath and points out the matching bridle. She giggles at them and then puts the food cloth on the floor. Morag ignores her and inspects his saddlebags. This is most kind of you, fair maid. Your own pretty face has lit up our day. He sits up and smiles winningly at her. Oh, we don't get gentlemen like you round here often, like. There's just Gemini's mates. Oh, they're real ugly. Would you know where they've gone, my fair one? I'll be getting the horses. He mounts and starts to leave the stable. Uh, we'll get the gear? Do you need any help? Morag shrugs. Do what you want. I won't be needing help, although they might. He starts to move off again. Wait, wait. Give me the permits. I'll need them to get the bags back. Morag chucks him the wallet from the saddlebag. He then canters away as the other two watch him from the doorway. Our poor young maid is going to be very broken-hearted. There's a fine line between heroics and mass murder, and I'm not sure Morrigu knows which one is which. Outside in number one, morning. Adamant and Quinn come to a standstill outside in number one. Adamant is holding the bundle of food. Look, you stay here and have a drink with your breakfast, and I'll go get the saddlebags. Ah, why do you get to do all the heroing? Because two of us will frighten Jem off. I intend to trick the bags off him. Then we don't end up being responsible for the deaths of half of the village men. Adamant kicks his foot on the ground. If I must. Suppose I'll find some pretty maids that minister to me here, meanwhile. Though I hardly look a hero without a horse and sword. He turns away and goes to sit on a chair outside the inn and proceeds to unwrap the food. Another young girl stands in the inn doorway and ogles his good looks. He winks at her. Quinn rolls his eyes and walks off. Weslingham, morning. Quinn, walking along, gets out the wallet, removes one of the three permits, and puts it inside his jerkin, while earnestly thinking. Adamant, calling compliments and blowing kisses to the girl in the doorway at the inn, who looks spoonily at him. Quinn getting out one of the papers again and anxiously perusing it while walking along. The girl now standing next to Adamant and taking his order for breakfast. Adamant is smiling at her, wooingly, and he kisses her hand while she giggles. Quinn arriving outside the saddlers and looking anxiously up at the sign. Wooded Riverbank, morning. Morag is riding slowly and quietly along the riverbank, scanning the wood to the left for sight of the thieves. The morning is beautiful, sunshine on the leaves, sparkling water. He suddenly sees the two rough men in the woodland ahead, sitting on two logs talking with Adamant's and Quinn's horses tethered nearby. Morag stops. Morag enters the woodland, quietly ties his horse up nearby and walks towards them. The two men see him and leap up with their swords ready. 
Morag swings violently and decapitates one of the men. The other one swings at him inexpertly, and Morag knocks the sword out of his hand. The man tries to run, but Morag follows him, cutting the man's leg, causing him to fall. The man then begs for mercy and tries to crawl away backwards. Please, please, I beg you, I'm only a horse thief. You can have a back. I've got family love. Thief! Worthless, useless thief! Morag keeps swinging, keeps cutting away at the man, until we don't hear the man anymore. He starts to swing at trees and all of the shrubbery around him until the whole area is trashed and he is visibly exhausted. He seems to come to from his weirdly blank expression. Ah, oh, damn, not again. Ugh. He sighs and rubs his eyes and tries to calm down. He is shivering as he walks to the horses. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Night's Erratic. I hope you enjoyed it. If you could drop us a like, subscribe or review on iTunes or recommend us to a friend who just needs a laugh, please do. We're just starting out and every little thing helps. If you want to get involved in the creative side of things as a scriptwriter or an actor or a musician, etc., please contact us. I'd love to hear from you. I'd like to thank our editors Adam Finn and Matthew McGuinness and our musician David Berlin for pulling together our disparate elements. We'll have another episode out soon. See you then.